Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Bakri Shafai. And you are listening to Food Nonfiction, the incredible true stories behind food. Today is all about the Oreo cookie. It is the only cookie that I, as an adult, still buy from the snacks food aisle. Shockingly, this cookie is over a hundred years old. In 1912, the National Biscuit Company announced the release of three high-end cookies. They referred to them as the Trio. The three high-end cookies were one, the Mother Goose Biscuit, two, the Veronese Biscuit, and three, the Oreo Biscuit. The Oreo, of course, became a very successful cookie that we are still eating over a hundred years later. And, of course, it has changed over time. Everything from the design on the Oreo to the ingredients used to make the Oreo and the Oreo packaging have changed. When it was first sold, Oreo came in really boxy tins. You can see a picture of one on our website, foodnonfiction.com. People have described the original Oreo tins as being yellow or gold-colored, with the lettering being gold. This is important to mention because this description has led people to theorize that the name Oreo came from the French word for gold, which is or. So that's just one of several theories on where the name Oreo came from. And we discussed these theories with Stella Parks, who wrote the award-winning book, Brave Tart, Iconic American Desserts. Hey, I'm Stella Parks, author of Iconic American Desserts. I guess it's called Brave Tart, technically. And it won the uh, James Beard Foundation Book Award this year? It did, which was completely wild, and I'm still kind of recovering from it. So in your book, you talked about the history of Oreos, and you had written about where the name Oreo came from. Can you tell me the story of the Oreo name? Yeah, so there's, you know, a lot of, like, kind of wacky theories as to what Oreo may mean and like weird theories like it relates to the word or having to do with like golden or yellow packaging in the original sales format as if it was named after the French word for gold or uh, which seems like a real stretch for like this early 20th century American cookie. I've only ever found one picture of that old tin that's sort of yellowish colored um, and I've never ever seen a different version of the picture. Do you know anything about that original tin? No, I mean, most of the, the images from that time are in black and white, so it's really hard to get a clear reading on what the coloration would have actually been. So I really tried to see if I could find like an old timey tin or packaging, you know, on eBay or on some type of like estate auction and just kind of kept my eyes out for years and was never able to find anything. So at best, it's highly conjectural. My feeling is that if ore did in fact relate to gold, that that would be something they would have used in advertising, like, you know, look for the golden package or, right. you know, something, something to that effect. If it was so important that it was both the name and a reference to the specific type of packaging that it had, that it would have been mentioned a little bit more prominently. But then again, in real life, the color may have been so golden that it was obvious, but at the same time, I'm not sure that the average American would have connected the word Oreo to their French lessons and <laughs> thus been on the lookout for gold packaging. Like it, It's not a strong theory, in, in my opinion. Okay, so the French word for gold theory seems unlikely. 
And there are even more unlikely theories than that. And then some people say it's named after the word orexigenic. It means to stimulate the appetite in Latin. And it's kind of more of a medical term that's kind of applied to cannabis. So that also seems like a weird thing for someone to come up with in, in 1912. Another theory is that the name Oreo represents the construction of the cookie. So imagine that the two O's are meant to be the two cookies sandwiching the cream. And the R-E in the middle of the spelling O-R-E-O is meant to be the cream because R-E are the two letters in the middle of the word cream. Another theory is that Oreo comes from the Greek word for hill because some early version of the Oreo was supposedly dome-shaped like a hill. These theories are terrible, but I would be willing to start believing them if there wasn't a way better theory thanks to Stella's research. Stella is going to tell you her theory of the origin of the Oreo name. And we here at Food Nonfiction believe with all our hearts that this is the true origin of the Oreo name. I started looking at Nabisco as a whole and their product line at the time and trying to single out a common theme. Kind of like, you know, Ikea has a certain like theme to all the names of their products or, you know, you go to certain stores and you notice that there's a kind of brand consistency in the naming schemes. It's not random. So I started wondering if I could find a pattern in, in Nabisco's product lineup. And I started looking at different cookie names. They had things called Avena, Lotus, Helicon, or Helicon, Zephyret, Zaytona, Ramona, and Oreo. And the first thing that I noticed in this one is, I think if you're familiar, there's a brand of lotion out there called Avino. It comes from the word Avena, which relates to oats. And it's Latin for oats. And so I just made that connection. I'm like, oh, I kind of know that word is, is related to plants. And Lotus is a very obvious plant name as well. So I started looking up all the other products that they had. Um, their cookie, Helicon, comes from Heliconia, which is a flower that's native to Florida. And the cookie Zephyret matches up with uh, something called Zephyranthes, and it's a type of like tropical lily. Another biscuit was named Zaytona, which could have come from the Arabic word for olive. There was also a biscuit called Anola, likely because one of its ingredients was canola. You get the picture. Uh, and so, like, there's all these, like, I'm starting to see this like, really strong botanical theme. So I started looking up in like old timey plant dictionaries, um, just keyword searching for like Oreo. And I found the word Oreo Daphne, which is um, the Latin name for the mountain laurel. Okay, so the name Oreo likely comes from the word Oreo Daphne, a genus of plants that includes evergreen trees, which are sometimes called mountain laurels. So now the question is, why name the Oreo after basically mountain laurels? Well, to answer that question, here is where we also tell you about the origin of the Oreo cookie. A few years before the Oreo came out, there was already a cookie on the market with a wreath design pressed into a dark cookie sandwiching a cream filling. This cookie was called Hydrox. So the Oreo cookie was the National Biscuit Company's copy of the Hydrox cookie which was sold by the Loose Wild Biscuit Company, later renamed as Sunshine Biscuits. And what's interesting is the Hydrox cookie, which Oreo was designed to mimic, is decorated with a mountain laurel pattern. And Oreo also has that. If you look on the embossing, there's like a almost like a crown 
like little leaves that go in a circle. And so suddenly this name seemed like it could make a lot of sense, especially compared to some of the wilder theories out there based on the history of both Hydrox, which was the cookie Oreo was copying, and Oreo itself and its design, which is very, very clearly some type of, you know, plant leaf. Obviously, when you're looking at a design that's small, there's not really any ability to uh, botanically identify something. But a, a laurel crown is a very, you know, common theme and different types of like abstract artistic motifs. And, and the way the Oreo pattern is designed is pretty consistent with that. So it's not a long shot. So let's summarize what we've learned. The Oreo cookie is likely named after the Oreo Daphne in relation to the decoration on the original Oreo cookie, which was likely a mountain laurel wreath, which was the same type of plant decorating the original Hydrox cookie, which was the cookie Oreo was copying. The Hydrox cookie was visually stunning for its time. The level of detail on the image pressed onto the cookie was amazing for a time when bakeries were still changing from being small businesses to large factories. For the Loose Wiles Biscuit Company, the Hydrox was an all-star cookie, and Oreo copied it. And there's a lot more to the story than that. The National Biscuit Company, now known as the shortened name Nabisco, Na for National, Bis for Biscuit, Co for Company, was formed from a merger between three huge companies, the New York Biscuit Company, the United States Baking Company, and the American Biscuit and Manufacturing Company. That last one was run by two brothers, Jacob and Joseph Luce. When the merger happened, Jacob Luce did not agree with it and left the company. That meant that Jacob's brother, Joseph Luce, was still at the National Biscuit Company when Jacob went off to form another company, the Luce Wiles Biscuit Company. And so because his own brother was with the other company and his former board members and his former lawyers and former bankers were all with, the, with Nabisco, you can kind of understandably imagine that when Jacob established his own second biscuit company for the second time in his life, that he, you know, was feeling perhaps a little competitive with them. Jacob's company, uh, Lose Wild's Biscuit, introduced a, a cookie called Hydrox, and it was... You know, we, most people are familiar with Hydrox today, and we consider it an Oreo knockoff, but it was the original. And at the time, it was just incredibly innovative. The level of detail and design that was embossed onto each wafer was just absolutely unheard of at the time. It wasn't that long afterward. Um, I think it actually happened to be on the 10th anniversary of the Loose Wiles having established itself. Nabisco unveiled a cookie called Oreo. And visually, there's like no doubt that it was meant to copy Hydrox completely. You know, the same kind of embossed pattern and two chocolate cookies with a vanilla cream filling. And what is most telling is that the, the Hydrox had this kind of floral motif that I believe to be a, a laurel crown to kind of symbolize the Loose Wilds achievements that they were rising to the top and that he was gonna claim his reward and get his rightful place as the Biscuit King and wear the crown, you know, all this stuff. Um, I believe it was a, a laurel motif. And the Oreo also matched that pattern where it had like a, a similar floral motif where the flowers or leaves are arranged in a ring. So it's not just like, oh yeah, they both happen to have flowers. Like they both have flowers or leaves that are arranged in a similar pattern that looks like a crown. And so to me, that's like this subtle like dig, like that they're, 
they're kind of coming for them specifically, that they're going to steal their laurel, they're going to steal their thunder or something. And of course, th that part is pure speculation on my part. I don't you know, mean to say that uh, back in the day, Nabisco legitimately had an ax to grind, but given the history between the two companies and, and what we know about the kind of interpersonal relationships happening there and Hydrox's success, you know, it makes sense that their competitor would want to have a very similar product on the market. And so for a long time, they sold Oreo at a loss. They sold it extremely cheap so that people would be encouraged to buy it. And for a long time, Oreo was seen as the clear imitation. It was like, here are these people trying to like make a Hydrox, but they can't do it. Um, but over time, those tables were turned and um, Nabisco actually raised the prices and made uh, Oreo more expensive. And in comparison, suddenly Hydrox looked like it was the cheaper cookie, just like literally it was the cheaper cookie. Uh, and that that did a whammy on sales ultimately uh, and kind of helped Oreo take the lead. They had a much stronger marketing department, I think. So it's been a tough ride for the Hydrox cookie and it was eventually discontinued, but its story doesn't end there. In 2015, the cookie was brought back by Leaf Brands. Hi, my name is Elia Kassoff. I'm the CEO of Leaf Brands and KB Toys. Fantastic. So Elia, let me know a bit about your background and your childhood. Where did you grow up? Sure. I grew up in uh, Palm Springs, California. Um, we, uh, my family moved there from New York in uh, 1965. And uh, I was born a couple years later. So what childhood memories do you have of Hydrox cookies? Well, we were, um, we are, actually I am, uh, kosher. And so that was very important uh, as a kid because uh, we were, my, my father never brought in um, Oreos to, into the house because back then they were made with beef fat and lard. And uh, so all we uh, ate was uh, was Hydrox, and that was the the kosher uh, cookie. So can you describe Hydrox cookies, how they were back then, what they tasted like, what their packaging was like? Sure. I mean, the, the packaging was the simple tray in a package, but the, the key distinctive qualities of, of Hydrox is the crispier cookie, darker chocolate flavor, and it's less sweet than, than an Oreo. Elia explained to us how he revived the Hydrox cookie. So it's quite complicated to bring back any product, uh, being that it's some of these products have been gone for 20, 25 years, maybe even 30 years. And even though there's a large co consumer base that loves it and remembers that product, <clears throat> over the years, you have to also come to grips with the fact that the product had been changed and manipulated. And, and so where do you get these formulas and who do, how do you find the people that used to make it? And so with Hydrox, it was a combination of a couple of things. I mean, when we... Uh, when I got into USA Today about you know the announcement that we're bringing Hydrox back, I would get those calls, whether that guy told you about from Kellogg's. Uh, but I'd also get calls from a lot of the, some of the vendors saying, hey, we sold this type of cocoa to you guys, you know, to, you know, to, the, to Sunshine for Hydrox, or we sold this, so that we sold this vanilla. Or we, so some of them would, would call us up and say, we, you know, our product was used in, in making Hydrox. Uh, and we also found the old CEO for Sunshine Biscuit actually called me out of the blue and said, hey, read the article. That's awesome. You're bringing Hydrox back. And so he was able to help me, uh, you know, with that formulation. Uh, he had his head of operations who, who passed away last year, but 
his, his old head of operations was very helpful in getting the formula uh, correct. And then we had um, other people at our factory that some of them used to work uh, at Sunshine uh, also. So it was kind of a collaborative effort. And then when we, we created a bunch of different samples, uh, we started using Facebook. We created our Hydrox Cookie Facebook page. So the first thing we do is we send out samples to, we, we pick a, a, you know, between 20 and 30 people and we say, we're gonna send you, you know, five different samples and they're marked in the survey. And if you can please, you know, taste each one and tell us which one is the closest. It's interesting because sometimes you'll get mixed results, but you obviously, you know, when you're, uh, you know, if you're getting the majority uh, or at least a, a higher number gravitating to one of the four of the five, you know, you've got a, you know, you've got a good product. On top of that, though, you have to look at today's environment for food. You can't have hydrogenated oils anymore. Um, there's a lot of things you cannot have that you used to have back then. So we did have to obviously go to a non-hydrogenated oil and, um, you know, and make some of those slight changes to comply with today's uh, uh, food laws. Even today, Hydrox and Oreo are still butting heads and the Hydrox cookie makers have filed a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission about Oreo representatives trying to hide Hydrox's visibility on store shelves. But on a brighter note, while the first Oreo cookie was a copy of Hydrox, the latest design of the Oreo has its very own story to tell. We called up Bill Turnier, the son of William Turnier, who is credited by many as the designer of the current Oreo design. Yeah, hello, my name's Bill Turnier, okay? Okay, can you tell me a bit about your dad? Yeah, my dad, I guess you could say a thing that really marked my dad from the beginning was that when he was about 18 months old, he got polio and he had a very bad leg as a result of it. and and uh, was short and had a pin through at the ankle and no muscle in below the knee, so he limped around badly. And he was a smart man, but kids can be really cruel to other kids, and he took a lot of, you know, ribbing and teasing when he was in school, and so he dropped out of school when he could at age 16 uh, and then went and took a job with Nabisco uh, in the mailroom, and uh, he was—he was a—he was, was a nice-looking guy. All right, he did have this limp, though, and uh, and that, the people in the engineering department took a shine to my father. And when he had some spare time, he'd drop by and they'd show him how to do some drafting work, and he liked the idea of doing that. And then went and got the equivalent in that era of a high school equivalency and went to some specialized schools to learn drafting skills and wound up doing initially doing drafting at Nabisco that would the person who was doing the drafting would produce a good copy for somebody else and then uh, moved on to being the assistant to the chief cookie designer sort of with another era when there'd be so many cookies coming out and different types and so forth that uh, that you'd have an assistant and you'd have a chief cookie designer too. But uh, he did that and then my dad became a design engineer for them, okay, and he had his assistant and then eventually he retired at age 65 after working there for 49 years. 
So what so, do you know about his inspiration for the Oreo design? I don't know. I don't know very much. I, I do remember him telling me that he decided, since Nabisco had used the symbol of an orb with a double cross over the top of it uh, as its its trademark, that orb with a double cross is something that medieval monks used to put at the end of a manuscript when they copied it and finished copying it and made it as true and as good and as excellent as they could. Because that was an era when there were, we didn't have printing presses and things had to be copied by hand. So it was very tedious and it was a real, real workmanlike job to do that. And it required special skills. So my, Nabisco had chosen that and my dad decided he'd add that, he told me, in there. I, I talked to my dad about it, you know, and about the craft of what he had. And as he said to me, and explaining it sometime that, you know, you had a cookie. The cookie would have a certain dough that gave rise to its appeal. Something like the Lorna Dune is soft and it will be crumbly. And something like the Oreo was really, you know, it's a, it's a hard cracker. And, uh, and it, so it, you can put a lot of detail into that, okay, uh, just like the Cameo that has a fair amount of detail. You can put detail into it. Whereas you can't put very much detail into the Lorna Dune, but that's crumbly, uh, and it just wouldn't take it. And my dad used to joke about the 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 audio, and he said, that dough's so hard they could probably, you know, cast coins out of it, you know. Not really, but, you know, it's it just really does take uh, more detail. It can accommodate more detail in design. And so, you, you know, it seems like a simple task, but to be designing cookies, but in those days, it was before they even had computers. Uh, and you would also be sitting down realizing the packaging equipment you had, the conveyor belts, how many cookies you'd get across, what they'd want to do, you know, and how you would position this. Uh, and and also to, to sort of maximize the efficiency of the operation, uh, you don't you know, you don't want the cookies to be too far apart when they go through on these big band ovens that they're baked in. They're, they're, they're about the length of a football field, as I recall. I mean, along those lines, I do remember, you're too young, Lillian, but uh, when I was a kid, we would get animal crackers in these little boxes with a little string on them. And they had little little legs out and heads and tails. And most of the time, you know, you they'd be broken and broken and broken. And, and you'd, you know, you'd, you'd look through it and you'd get maybe four or six that were completely whole crackers. And, uh, you know, that was, that was before my dad's time, but then he was given the job of taking care of that breakage problem, as they called it. And so my dad decided to put grass in between the legs, uh, which is still there on, you know, all these four-legged animals. And, uh, and the, 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 the giraffe, it's the most ungainly thing. Instead of having its head down, I mean, its head up, as we've always seen giraffes, and nibbling leaves off trees, this giraffe has his legs spread wide and his head down on the ground so they can shove grass in there and nothing broke on him. But he, I've never seen a giraffe in that position. Yeah. Fantastic. So that was all my questions. And okay. I just want to say thank you because that was all very fascinating and it's really great to get this interview with you. 
And once the episode out, I will send you a link to it. Okay, thank you, because my kids are interested, okay, and they, they want to go check it out. I already looked up, you know, the, your, your podcast and sent that on to them so that they could, you know, not miss it if they really want to check it up, okay? But if you give me the date, they'd really be delighted, I think. So, Food Buffs, that's the long and fascinating story of the Oreo cookie. So, Fakri, what's been happening? Oh, well, I am finally done with my PhD, so I'm officially Dr. Shafai now. Finally! Yes. <laughs> what we go through for that. I know. It's a... Uh... It's a brutal battle, and I'm sorry you're still in the middle of yours. <laughs> but how happy are you? I'm really happy. It's so nice to have this over with and be able to focus completely on my work here in Ontario. And uh, yes, it's been a very good summer. How about you? Um, I went to a cabin this summer, which was really fun. Uh, a friend of ours owns a cabin on Lake Sakinaw. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's on the Sunshine Coast. And so it's like a lake that's sort of surrounded by like mountains. I don't know if you call them mountains, maybe hills, big hills, mountains. And it's super beautiful. And it was just like such a relaxing time. And, you know, like I never get to swim in pools or any, like especially not places that aren't pools. So that was really nice to go swimming in the lake and kayaking and barbecuing. It was awesome. That sounds lovely, and I'm super jealous. Yeah, I'd say that's the highlight so far, so far of the summer. Well, yeah, you're still in school, too, so it's not like you actually have a yes, real summer Yes, that's true, break. and this was a busy, busy school year. But you were talking earlier about you're going to go to Italy? Yes, uh, in two weeks, my family and I are all going to Italy. We've been planning this trip for three years now. We've uh, been reserving the time and saving money and all of that. So when I was first hired by my boss, I told him first thing, this trip is happening in September and it is happening. I am going. <laughs> That's awesome. So like, where are you going to go? Well, we're going to stick mainly to the northern part of Italy just because there's so much to see and we had to pick some area to focus on. So we're starting in Milan and then we're going to the Modena Parma region which is where Parmesan cheese comes from. So I'm super excited. We actually are going to tour some of the uh, local dairies and check out their cheese making process. Uh, my sister has a very good friend who actually runs a winery in that region. So we're going to spend time there. I won't be drinking, but I love going to wineries anyways because they're beautiful and they always serve cheese. Oh, you know what? I'm heading to the Okanagan tomorrow morning to go on wine tours. Oh, that's exciting. I haven't been to the Okanagan yet. Maybe for our American listeners, tell them where that is. Becky, you're telling me to tell someone where a thing is? Geography? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. I should know better than that. So the Okanagan is kind of like the Napa Valley of Canada for our American listeners. So... It's a region filled with wineries. They do a lot of different types of grapes. It's also where ice wine tends to come from. Um, and it's known as one of the most beautiful regions. I have friends that do like bike bike wine winery oh, no tours. Way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wouldn't dare. I'd fall right off. So they just ride their bikes from wine. <laughs> cool. 
Alrighty, food buffs. If you like the podcast, please leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. We read them all and it helps us out to get some positive ratings. To get updates from us about episodes, follow our Food Nonfiction Facebook page. And if you're interested in seeing pictures along with the episodes, then check out our website, foodnonfiction.com. All right, food buffs, we hope you have a great week. Bye. Bye.